With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Fancy something different for tea? Get takeaway delivery now via Deliveroo and Uber Eats. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast, which right now may not actually be daily, but still has its eyes firmly fixed on the English top flight. Today, as is every Friday during this weird period, it's our AQA show. It's our turn to answer your questions that have come in via Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and we'll do our best to rattle through as many as possible in the next 40 minutes or so. I say we because the me that is Jim Salverson, it becomes a we with the addition of Steve McNaughton. Hello, Steve. Hello, Jim. Hello, Marley. You okay? Well, I haven't introduced Marley yet. You've just blown the surprise. <laughs> Marley Anderson <laughs> is on the podcast as well. Hello, Marley. Hello. Thank you, Steve, for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> You're welcome. Right, we're going to kick off with a review before we get into the questions. It's been a while since we've done a review on the podcast. If you fancy leaving us a review, however you listen to your podcasts, then you might get a shout out on the show, which is nice as well. So we're going to give Ollie, who's 15, a virtual high five today. Ollie, thank you very much for your review. He says, absolutely love the podcast. A great listen every day, despite the abuse you give me as a Burnley fan. Especially the, uh, he's going back to what he likes now, he says, especially like the unbiasedness and the controversial opinions. Keep up the good work and please give Dyche a little praise. So. I do. Yeah, you do. Marley, you know what's coming, mate. Sorry, Ollie. You're the chief Burnley hater amongst us. So first off, I think you need to apologise to Burnley uh, and Ollie. I'll apologise to Ollie, um, but I'm not on every day, Ollie, so you know what I mean. And secondly, I think you need to say something nice about Sean Dyche. Uh, he's got a lovely voice. <laughs> Fair enough. Right, we'll crack he on. Has a great, he has a great worm selection that he eats <laughs> as well. <laughs> right, before we get stuck into today's questions, there is another Premier League meeting today between the 20 clubs. We might get some news on that during the podcast while we're recording, but more than likely it will take a few hours and it won't be out till later this afternoon. So anything that's decided today in that meeting will go through on Monday's podcast. If you hit subscribe, On this show, however you're listening, you'll get that as soon as it's ready. Now, one thing that is widely expected to come out of that is a delayed restart to the Premier League beyond the current deadline, which is April 30th, which seems a bit obvious at the moment. And we actually have a few questions relating to the ifs and whens and buts of the Premier League restarting in a little bit as well. So let's crack straight on with the questions. First question, it comes from Daniel Caron, who says, what do you guys make of the rumours about the Premier League finishing the final few games of the season over in China? Steve, you can start on this one. What do you think of this suggestion that seems on the face of it far-fetched? I don't think it's a starter, in all honesty. I think that to move the entire league... And the staff, the the infrastructure that comes with an entire league of teams and keep them in one place for a 
let's say a month to six weeks while we get these I think 92 games finished off I don't think is beyond the is is beyond the realms of possibility I think that the St George's idea is better uh, and doing it in at St George's Park potentially what do you think about it Marley because it's, for me it's kind of like if the game is going to be played behind closed doors which if the league is going to finish it seems almost certain they will be played behind closed doors from my point of view, I don't really care whether it's in the Midlands or whether it's in China or whether it's on the moon. Because as a spectator, as long as it happens, I'll only be consuming it via the telly anyway. So kind of the geography of where it's most likely to take place doesn't really matter. It's not really applicable. I thought you had a, a timeshare in China, Jim. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I was kind of shocked to see this see this come out, really, um, with the the rumour that we're going to up and up sticks and get everyone to go to China just to complete these these games. Um, I I agree with Steve. I don't think it'll happen. However, it just proves how desperate people are to get these games finished and get and get them done. Because if you see, um, you know why why China? It's, well, it's because it's the first country in the world that's got over this virus and is is through the other side of it. So it's like everyone's created this rumor of well they're over it so why don't why don't we go there why don't we chase chase the safe space where no one uh, where no one's getting this virus anymore um but in reality if you're if you're taking so many people over there there's still a chance that they could uh, they could get it and it's still not 100% safe and it's still it's still not being proven that you can't catch this thing twice so you could be um you could be just causing a massive massive issue if you if you do do that um, obviously, there'll be people more qualified than me to to make that decision. However, p- the people um, a few weeks back make, made a decision to play Atalanta versus Valencia in the um, in the Champions League, and that's been count. That's been um, dubbed the coronavirus ground zero because if uh, within a week after that game happening, Bergamo, where Atalanta are from, and Milan, where the game was played, and Valencia back in Spain were the epicenters of the coronavirus in their countries because 50,000 people uh, went to the San Siro in Milan, obviously a few thousand from from Valencia and um, many more thousand from Bergamo, which is only a small city anyway. Probably, I think it was a third of the people in Bergamo went to that game and that just proves how easily it can spread at football matches and if you even if you still let Chinese fans in, which would please the Premier League um, officials, because they've they've talked about the thirty ninth game in in recent years, haven't they? And and looked at it as a money spinner. They they may be looking at this as some way to to um to kill two birds with one stone and make a bit of money out of it as well that they've lost during the the lockdown period. But I just think it's a it's a crazy way of of thinking it. Really, I think it, there's probably more safe options. To, uh, that we can do in in England, whether it's playing games at training grounds, um, asking about St George's Park, um, playing games at neutral venues or something like that without any fans, because I think we are resigned to the fact that the games, if they do get played, will get played without without fans watching live um, in the, in the stadiums, and it will be through TV, which I think is the right decision. I mean. It- Safety and money are the two things to consider here massively. The Premier League are considering money. Everyone else is considering safety because the Premier League want to get these games on whatever happens because they're concerned about having to hand back what I think I heard a number of £700 million in TV money if the league doesn't get completed. From a safety point of view, I mean, we have to do whatever is better for the players and the football teams staff or whoever they need to send out to these places and if that is China I think it should be on the table but as you say there's a lot of questions around that as to can you catch it twice how serious is the pandemic in China because there's been a lot of questions raised about whether the figures coming out of there the genuine infection rates or the death figures are as high as they could be whether they are even out the other side of it despite reports so it needs to be 100% safe for everyone if they are to even going to look at that. But I think what we really want to happen as football fans, as the Premier League, is we want the Premier League to be finished by some means. And we don't want a situation similar to what's happened in Belgium, where they've now cancelled the league. And I know you know a bit more about this, Marley. They've just basically called the league off and gone, well, that's it. The standing stand. 
Yeah, um, they have. However, there's a caveat to that in the fact that there's a, there was only one game to go in uh, in Belgium. Um, so it's uh, it was similar to um, uh, England having 38 games played rather than 20, uh, 29 that we do uh, at the minute because the, everything was... Well, uh, most of the stuff was... Um, was wrapped up. I mean, Club Bruges at the top of the league were 15 points clear with one game to go. They can't mathematically be caught, which is kind of similar, uh, kind of uh, different to Liverpool's situation at the top of the Premier League, it, albeit only just. Um, second place was still up for grabs, uh, but the top four were the top four. Um, and then you've got a very strange system where they can... Um, which with which relates to the European qualification because it's a it's a weird style playoff system which is why one of the reasons why the uh, why the season finished nine games earlier than us it's, that's because they have a, a strange playoff system where uh, there's only thirty games played and then that's the league done and then there's a playoff system to determine all the European places including the Champions League and the Europa League which is it's a hard one to get your head around. I spent a good hour on it yesterday trying to understand how this how it works. So if you've got any Belgian fans listening, please enlighten me because I'm, my head's going going south trying to work all this out. Um, but if you, at, at the bottom of the team, there's a there's a club at uh, the bottom of the league called uh, Waslin Beveren. They're two points behind Oostend at the bottom of the league, and there's a game to go, so they could. Predict could could genuinely have have stayed up, but they've now been relegated because of this uh, decision, which I'm sure is going to lead to a court case. Well, that leads to a question from Curtis on Twitter that I'll throw in here because it kind of fits in. He says, "Is it fair to null and void leagues like they have with the non-league, and what happens to the prize money, etc.?" So let's look at this from a Premier League point of view then. And Steve, you can answer this one as a Liverpool fan. It probably affects you more than most. Is it fair to null and void the league at this point, more so than cancelling the league and having the current standings in place? So if you were going to pick one or the other from a kind of neutral point of view in terms of fairness, which would be the fairer option? I don't think we should we should null and void the league under any circumstances. There's um, a shock. There's a shock <laughs> and as a Liverpool fan. <laughs> but I just think that there's, there's too much going on in the Premier League um, that still needs to be resolved in terms of kind of relegation for the start, Champions League and Europa League places. That the league's done, uh, as we know. Um, you know, twenty-five point gap. It's like, no one's going to kind of claw that back uh, at this point with nine games to go. When when Liverpool only need two wins, uh, or you know, one depending on how Man City get on. Um, I just think that. We, we've got to resolve them issues. Our, our league is a bit more complicated than just going, OK, lads, let's get around the table. Everyone happy with this? Um, you know, if we do this, I think that financially, due to the, how lucrative the Premier League is, it could be the difference between clubs surviving and and going out of business. Um, you know, if you're a like like a Bournemouth, for example, who have spent an astronomical amount of money for a football club that big, um, you know, they really need to avoid relegation. I think, um, you know, and then you've got the likes of um, uh, promotion to be resolved as well. So I'm not a fan of the null and void option. I think even if we were we were in second place, I think I'd, I'd probably still say the same. I'd want the football playing. Um, and I think we've just got to find a way of getting the games played. And, um, yeah, I think that's what will happen because the financial ramifications that would uh, happen from a null and void are, are astronomical. I mean, like I said, depending on which article you read, it's between 750 and a billion pounds, isn't it, in, in TV revenue. So th- there's too much at stake in, in, in the English Premier League for, for us just to kind of go uh, and put a pin in it. They've kind of done this in the lower leagues already. I think it's the seventh tier they've decided that anything below that is cancelled for the season. They start again, they go again next year. And already, even at that level, there are court cases going on, there are people lodging official complaints against the league. And if you times that, because there is prize money and there's promotion and there is the future of football clubs at stake, but if you times that by 100, you probably get nowhere near what would happen with the Premier League in terms of just saying, all right, well, we'll keep it as it stands, you're relegated, or even the other option, you're not promoted. So it is... it's a can of worms, and as you say, the Premier League just needs to be finished, some way or the other. It does. 
And that's what I think they'll be trying to resolve today. I think they'll try and come up with a solution today for that. I think the biggest question mark we've got about all this is the date, isn't it? That That's that's the be-all and end-all, is when, when can we do it and where can we do it? And I like the St. George's Park idea. I think that, you know, getting everyone into like a World Cup setting um, and having them in there for a month and, you know, doing the, the two or three games a week um, and getting everything done and dusted is quite a sensible idea because I think I believe they've got... 13 or 14, you know, top-notch pitches that, you know, the games could be played on in there. Um, and I quite like that idea. I'm, I've accepted that we're not going to, uh, you know, be in the grounds watching the game. Everything is going to be on TV, which I think will make for quite an interesting experience listening to it with the microphones on and no crowd in there uh, and hearing everything that goes on on the pitch. Um, so I just think that that's a more likely outcome I think uh, in terms of getting these these games finished then then they can say to the likes of Sky and BT and Amazon and say we've delivered the product that you bought off us and we can go again uh, you know for for uh, for 2021 or 2122 whatever it may be like I said earlier there is a meeting today between the Premier League clubs the date for a or the deadline I should say for getting the league underway is likely to be reset to the end of May. That's the rumours at the moment, which would put it in line with Serie A and La Liga and probably still seems massively optimistic at this stage. Marley, go on, you've got the next question. Uh, yeah, I do. Um, it's coming from Paul on uh, on social media that says, uh, do you agree with Matt Hancock that Premier League players should be taking a pay cut during the coronavirus outbreak? And it's funny because I- I've actually just put something on Facebook about about it and um, and I don't think that Matt Hancock should have should have done that uh, I think there's there's a way and means of, of doing things like this don't get me wrong the Premier League players earn an astronomical amount of money because you know that's the money and the level that they're at um, the Premier League players and the clubs and the PFA are already working on something um, as, as Gordon Taylor come out and said and I think that there's a bit more at stake than just going to tell you what lads I'll just throw you 20% of my wages every week um, for, for the next two months or whatever it is it, it's not quite as simple as that there's got to be a I think due diligence done on it there's got there's, there's legal ramifications that comes with doing that and um, I think it's got to be handled in the correct manner and I think that when politicians come out and I think essentially throw footballers under the bus like he did, um, I don't agree with that. I think that the players and clubs would have done it. And it, some of the clubs are doing it already anyway. Um, you know, I mean, I obviously follow my club on, on social media and, um, you know, they've made kind of quite a few large donations in places, um, you know, that are affected by the crisis. And, and the players will do that. They don't need a politician telling them that they must do that. It'll do, it'll, they'll do it anyway um, because there's initiatives that they, they subscribe to. Obviously, I think of the One Matter, uh, you know, the 1% um, that... that he does, a lot of them do that off their own back. So players are a condition to, I think, giving a bit back anyway from almost like a, a CSR point of view, if you, if you like. Um, and I just think that when I seen that on, on the, the media channels and the news channels, I, f- I thought it was out of order, to be honest. I think it's really difficult to take the comments seriously from Matt Hancock when he's a politician for a political party who's tax breaks and loopholes have done nothing but benefit millionaires and billionaires right around the country to the detriment of the lower paid people. There is no moral high ground that he as a Conservative Party member could be taking here. But there are two sides to this for me. Number one, if I was a highly paid footballer on millions of pounds a year, I'd like to think that I'd want to do something to help out the community and to help out the country at a time like this. Whether I would or not is a completely different matter. You've got to walk a mile in someone else's shoes to really understand whether you do that or not. But I'd like to think I'd make that choice, but it should be a choice and it should be their choice. The second part of it is I don't know why footballers are being singled out in this argument. I don't know why... I mean, there are people who earn equal money to footballers that aren't footballers. There's highly paid businessmen around the world at the moment and around the UK who are making money for their company hand over fist but are still taking advantage of the furlough scheme, which morally seems dubious to me. So it's not just about footballers and I don't know why footballers are being singled out. Should something be done and should potentially they be taking a pay cut in order to help 
those, particularly in their clubs, people they work with every day who maybe are on financial hard times and are being laid off and are being furloughed. Yes, 100% they should. But at the same time, should that be a decision that's made by the players rather than Matt Hancock? Yes, 100% it should. Yeah, totally agree with you, Jim. I think that, um, you know, it's when when politics tries to mix with football, I think that that isn't a good mix. And I thought, like I say, I thought it was quite offensive, really. And I think that, um, you know, that the PFA and the clubs and players don't need a, a conservative politician to tell them what they should and shouldn't do. And um, yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, there's there's plenty of kind of blind eyes turned and, and little schemes that wealthy businessmen and, and businesses in this country do take advantage of, you know, without getting too political. And I think that um, that's what the government should be focusing on, really. Yep, I'd agree with the Perry there. Um, I think, especially with it coming from a, 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 a Tory government, it's very uh, hypocritical when... Um, I think the person who best, who best uh, summed this up was... Um, uh, Josh Windass on social media on Twitter. I think Josh he, uh, Windass. Yeah, Josh uh, Dean Windass's son, who's okay. a professional <laughs> player. Um, he said uh, he retweeted the the clip of Matt Hancock, and he wrote, uh, "Marcus Rashford has paid for four hundred thousand people to be fed in Manchester. That's more than Matt, Matt Hancock's hedge funded mates have done. I'm sure. That just that just sums it up for me, really. Like players are doing their part. Yes, more could do more." And uh, in time, they probably will, because not every club has, uh, has said what they're doing in this in this strange time yet, in terms of uh, employees and stuff. Um, but players are out there helping, um, and more will help. You see Barcelona yesterday doing a 70% wage cut for all the playing staff. That's going to raise God knows how much money for, for the Spanish crisis going on as well. So there are going to be more players joining this course to, to fight it but for a politician who's quite frankly got bigger things to worry about like getting ventilators to the NHS and things like that and giving them 30 instead of 30,000 I mean this is very very sort of hypocritical of him to say well you should be doing more well if there's anyone going to be doing more in this current situation it's the flipping health minister like it's this is literally your job mate this is your problem this is not footballers who've made this problem and and can get them get themselves out of it by giving up a bit of their wages. It's your problem, unfortunately. But at the end of the day, the book resides with you, and you're not doing your job. This is just a for me. It's just a reflection tactic of yeah. But what about them guys? And it's not really fair on them, to be honest. Right. Let's. Uh, we should actually point out that Matt Hancock was asked this question. It wasn't like he didn't come out and start making these statements in a press conference. He was asked about Premier League <laughs> footballers, so he had to make some kind of comment. Right, we'll clamber down off our high horses for a second while Steve digs out the next question. Steve, what you got? Oh, so I've got a question that's coming via review on iTunes from, from Ruben Wazir uh, in Australia. So uh, hello to Ruben in Australia. It's nice to uh, know that we are reaching the other side of the world. Uh, and his question is... Um, it's quite interesting and it is, I can answer it um, because I've done a little bit of research on it, but it's uh, why is West Ham in East London? This makes no sense. And um, it's, <laughs> to answer your question, Reuben, uh, it's simply geography, my friend. Um, so, you know, West Ham was formed uh, in the late 1800s, uh, I believe. Uh, and it's, I think it was an old factory team uh, that were dissolved and, and then reformed at some point. But, the football used to be played at um, uh, a premises in, in Playstow, which is in West Ham, which is uh, obviously uh, why the name and location is key to your question. So I hope that helps. Uh, I hope that has cleared it up for you, that um, West Ham are a local area through and through, my friend. I'm going to give you 5 out of 10 for that, Steve, because you got some of the points right, but okay. you're missing a little bit of detail. So I'm going to just... I'm sorry, I'm Jim. Gonna, <laughs> I'm going to fill in the blanks. So West Ham used to here be comes, called Thames Iron Here Ironworks. comes Bobby Moore. Yeah. <laughs> used to be called Thames Iron Works FC, which is why you get the hammers on the crest, because it was an ironworks on the bank of the Thames, essentially. So that was where the football club was born. It moved to where West Ham Tube Station is essentially. There's a post office next to West Ham Tube Station. That's where the old ground was before it moved to the Bolan, which was just down the road. And as you say, it's just a geography thing. It's the borough of Newham. And there's a West Ham, which is the west side of Newham. And there's an East Ham, which is the east side of Newham. So it is actually to the west, but it's just to the west of Newham, 
rather than being to the west of London. And there he's got double bubble on that, Jim. He's got uh, you know the answer twice, and that which yours was much more comprehensive than mine. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going to do one more question before we get to a break. It's a little one. It's from Mike, who got in touch via the Instagram account, who says, "I know what Marley's going to pick already for this. A hundred percent." He says, <laughs> "Favorite goal celebration ever." Go on, Marley. Tell us it's Alan Shearer. There's this fella who scored 260 Premier League goals, <laughs> and in about 255 of them, he did this celebration where he simply raised his right hand to the sky and ran off. Simple, effective, repetitive, but iconic. Worst Alan celebration Jeeves. ever. Worst football Shut celebration up. ever. Get out it's of it. It's just boring. It's just, I mean, it just sums up Alan Shearer perfectly that his celebration was putting one hand in the air and running around. It's just it's just the dullest football celebration yeah, I could imagine. If he did a somersault 260 times, his, his ankles would shatter. <laughs> Go on, Steve, what's yours then? My favourite goal celebration ever, and I think there's only one winner in this. And, you know, I've got to give props to some other ones. I think Marco Tardelli's in the 1982 World Cup final was obviously extremely iconic um, because of the sheer delight on his face when he scored that goal. Mm. But for me... I think the 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 best celebration that I've had the pleasure of seeing was during Euro '96 when Gaza scored that goal against Scotland oh, and they did the they did the dentist chair. I think that is the best goal celebration I've seen. And to be in the ground when when that happened and and to be there to witness what he did to uh, when he ruined Colin Hendry's life, um, <laughs> I think that uh, that that for me was the the simply the best. Yeah, that was a good one because it was in response to the stories in the tabloids as well about the players' pre-seasons and having spirits poured into their mouths in certain nightclubs. So yeah, that was a good. I'm not a fan of the like the the iconic football celebrations, the ones where you've got one guy who does the same thing every again, like Robbie Keane and whatnot, and Alan Shearer. I think it gets a little bit cheesy, but. I don't think you can go wrong with the classic Brazilian Rock the Baby. I think that's a decent celebration. Oh, yeah. Romário and Bebeto. Yeah. And you just made me think about uh, Roberto Baggio's celebration in the World Cup as well. The coke fueled screaming straight into the camera. Was that the 1990 World Cup? That was Maradona. That was Maradona, Jim. Was it Maradona? No, I'm sure. Did Baggio not do something similar as well? Uh, he might have done, but I think I just thought of Maradona then. I think it was in a game where Argentina played the USA. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I might be wrong, um, but Maradona in that the, the Argentina away kit, the Adidas one, the dark blue one, uh, with his uh, very short hair for him, uh, he went up to the camera and we were all like, whoa, he is flying. <laughs> I just think there's, there's something about pure passion that I like in a celebration. And Tevez did it recently when he scored for Boca Juniors. Oh, and brilliant. he was just hanging off the fence, just screaming at the home fans. Just anything that involves that amount of neck vein throbbing passion. I think I like as a celebration. Steady on, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Vain and throbbing in the same sentence. It's probably a good time to take a little break, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Right, thank you very much for your questions. So far, we'll get through a few more in a moment. We're going to take a little bit of a break and we'll come back in a second on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Slow-cooked, succulent meats delivered fast to your door. Search for us via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is our end of the week AQA show where we take your questions that you've asked via social media and handle them best we can. Had some good ones so far, so we're going to kick off the second half with Marley. Uh, I've got one that's come in on on Instagram again um, from an account, and you'll you'll know what this one's going to be about from the account name. It's called Southampton News Now on uh, Instagram. So the question is, <laughs> so, um, how much credit does Southampton deserve for sticking with Ralph Hasenhuhl after the 9-0 demolition against Leicester? I think they deserve enormous credit for sticking with him because it would have been very easy to throw the towel in at that point when you've been absolutely humiliated at home against the team that are, are on the ascendancy and that play good football, but 
you know, no one gets beat 9-0 at home. And I think that they stuck with him because results didn't pick up straight after that game either. Let's have it right. You know, they did go on a bit of a run at one point and I think they, they fell into the relegation places for a bit as well, didn't they? And they just stuck with him and they stuck with his philosophy and said, you know, listen, we still believe in this guy. He's the man who can get us out of this crisis. And we've just got to trust in the process. And they did that. And they've don't get me wrong, you know they've had mixed results since, but you know they're, they're out of trouble. I feel uh, at the time being, and um, there's not a lot of clubs that would do that, and there's not a lot of owners that would do that. And I think that they deserve great credit for for sticking with him because he's a guy who's gone on to get the best out of Danny Ings, for example, uh, who was sticking him in for fun, wasn't he? Uh, you know before the the coronavirus uh, hit, and I think it's refreshing to see that approach from. You know, a team in the Premier League because I think if that was say Everton, for example, I don't think they'd have done the same. I think credit needs to go to Hassan Hootel himself as well because he took that nine-nil game as basically a sign that he needed to change things. And you get managers that go, "This is what I do. This is my philosophy. This is what I'm going to stick with," and they just stick doggedly with it as they continue to ship goals. But Hassan Hootel kind of took a look at what he was doing and he made changes he made the team press more and work off the ball he changed from five at the back to four at the back he as you say he don't know what he did to Danny Ings but he gave him some kind of magic potion that made him look like the player that Liverpool tried bought a few years back and he stuck players back in their natural positions as well which doesn't seem like rocket science in terms of getting players playing better but if you play a left winger on the left wing they're probably going to play better than if you stick them on the right wing it's just how football works and Hassan Hootel kind of took stock he realized that he cut his cloth accordingly so yeah Southampton do deserve credit in giving him the opportunity to do that but Hassan Hootel deserves credit himself for being able to adapt and change at the same time. Yeah, because Jose wouldn't have done that, would he? Jose would have just kept plodding on and plodding on and then it just would have got to an untenable position and then had to move on. But he just thought, I need to evolve here. So he got himself a nice, smart haircut and grown a beard. And um, <laughs> you know, and everything's been good since. And he's a good manager. Seems like a good manager now, which you wouldn't have maybe said six months ago. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I really like Hasenhutl because... Although so, Southampton were in uh, were in obviously a lot of trouble at, for quite an extended period of the season, um, and then they went on that run where after the uh, after the Leicester game when they got smashed nine nil, uh, they went on a run of like something like twelve games or something with only one defeat or something whatever it was, um, and got themselves sort of out of it, and then they've kind of slipped a little bit back into it. But what is um, what's impressed me about Hasenhutl is the fact that he changes things when things aren't going right. So, for example, they got beat 9-0 and if the players didn't believe in the manager to turn things around, then you would have seen another couple of defeats after that and then the manager ultimately getting sacked and somebody, one of the lurking managerial roundabout idiots coming in like Moyes or Hughes or Pulis or Allardyce or someone, or Pardew, someone like that, who were all out of out of work at the time. So they could have they could have well easily been in into that job um if Hasen, if the players hadn't stuck with Hasenhutl but i think Hasenhutl has so many new ideas that um like we like like we mentioned before they aren't just doing the same thing plodding along and hoping it works each week they're actually they try and play football which i really like um they it doesn't always work um but when Hasenhutl gets uh, a little bit of money and back into to bring in the exact squad that he wants I think Southampton could be a very very good team because they've got youth they're probably a little bit inexperienced in terms of the players they've got at the back people like Jack Stevens um, and Jan Valerie aren't the most experienced players if they have a few uh, sort of solid pros with a bit of talent who come who come along to Southampton and help those kids uh, grow and develop into into good players. I think Southampton could have a good team there in, in future because I think the manager is very, very good and he's probably he's probably a little bit better than where Southampton are at the minute. I, I could easily see him doing a better job with with somebody like a, a top half club like, like an Everton or like a, well before they got Ancelotti obviously but some someone like that. I, I do I do rate him as a manager. I like what he's doing. I like his versatility and I like his uh, his passion. Um the only thing I don't like is them is them gloves he wears on the uh, touchline, which which are weird, but it is what it is. He's Austrian, so 
It's a shame we haven't got Niall on the podcast today because he's a uh, as a, as a Portsmouth fan, he'd be absolutely spitting. Oh, he'd stick it at to all them. this praise that Southampton are getting at the moment. But uh, let's have another question, Steve. You've got the next one. Yeah, I have, and um, it's coming from Tom Dunk. Uh, so thanks again for your question, Tom. And I know my answer to this. What I'm going to throw out to you two guys: it's which three teams do you want promoted to the Premier League next season, mm. and why? Um, so I will start with you, Jim, on that one. Okay, um, Leeds United, I'd like to see in the Premier League, definitely, just because I want to see how Bielsa gets on in the Premier League. And I think a battle between him and Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola always says that he's the student to Bielsa's teacher, I think would be a little bit special. And so I think I'd like to see that. I think the top flight deserves to see Bielsa. And I think Leeds deserve to be in the Premier League as well. They feel like a Premier League team. For a similar reason, I'd say Nottingham Forest. I think the size of the club... And the history of the club, I think they deserve a spell in the Premier League again. The glory times deserve to be back at Forest. And the final one's a bit left field. And it's purely because I'm a West Ham fan. You're not going to say Millwall, are you? Not out of the question. I'd like to see Millwall in the Premier League. Oh, my God. Well, purely because I, I can't remember a time where there's ever been a proper derby game for West Ham. We've got Spurs and we've got Chelsea, but we care a lot more about that than Spurs and Chelsea care about it. And I'd like to have a derby, just a couple of games of a season, get Millwall up, and then they can get absolutely humiliated and get relegated from the Premier League with like the lowest points total ever or something like that. It would be a really good season. So Forest, Millwall, Leeds United for Jim, me. Jim, what if, what if Millwall replace West Ham? <laughs> <laughs> God. This is a very <laughs> real possibility at the minute. That You know what? That I hadn't even occurred, occurred to me. That sent me into a spiral of... Misery that has, as if stuff wasn't bad enough. Marley, you have to go and talk about Millwall replacing West Ham. Well, on the then, Marley, let's have yours, pal. Uh, the one good thing about lockdown is that Jim's forgot how bad West Ham are, so that's a good thing for him. <laughs> Every cloud and all that. Uh, my three, I would pick Leeds and West Brom, because um, let's be honest, they deserve to come up um, in in the way they've they've done it so far. Um, I also want them to come up because I used to work at Leeds. Um, I think they've. They've finally look. When I were there, this, the football was absolutely woeful. Um, but they've they've always had a a little place uh, since I worked there. Like in in my head, I've always looked out for their results and that kind of thing. Um, and it's good to see them under Bielsa. I think the Premier League at some point needs Bielsa because it would be a shame if Bielsa had influenced all these managers around the world. And I think the Premier League would be. Uh, would would miss out if they uh, if they didn't get some sort of taste of Bielsa at some point. Um, West Brom, I think, uh, play play good enough stuff to to come up and uh, to to really have a go next season. If they they sign some of the players like Grady Diangana has been amazing for them this season. Who's on loan from West Ham. Um, ironically, West Ham probably shouldn't have let him go because he probably would have improved them a little bit more as well. But uh, you make your choices, don't you? But I think West Brom should come up. The third one's a third one's a weird one for me because you know we mentioned how big Nottingham Forest are, but I just don't care about Nottingham Forest. I really don't. Um, Brentford. I don't think the Premier League needs needs a club. Uh, Brentford, a, a small club who play fantastic football and everything, but they don't have any sort of uh, sort of pedigree for me. I wouldn't mind seeing Fulham come back up to be honest. Um, Purely for um, the way they play, they play good stuff, or they try to. Um, and Scott Parker is doing pretty well as a, as a young, inexperienced manager. Um, he's doing; he's gotten third at the minute, playing a four points clear of fourth. So the players they've got as well, they've also got Alexander Mitrovic, who I loved at, at Newcastle. I thought he, we should never let him go. Uh, but he's top scoring for them and, and playing very well. Tom Kearney as well, they've got, who's a very good player who could also do it in the Premier League quite easily. Uh, but he stayed there with them. Um, and Park, Parker's doing a great job, so I don't see why... Uh, I, I can't see past Fulham, to be honest. Fair enough. Mine are, are pretty... Well, top two are similar to yours, Marley. Mine are, are Leeds United, because I think that uh, we all want to see how Marcelo gets on in, in the Premier League and... That master and apprentice situation versus Pep is quite fascinating. 
And um, I think Leeds have been really through the mill in, in you know, certainly the last 17 years or so um, since all, all the stuff happened in terms of a couple of relegations and trying to fight the way back and they've banging on the door last season and then just run out of gas. And it looks like, you know, the they might just do it this season. Um, and I think it'd be nice to have Leeds in the, in the Premier League because they are a big club. They, you know, that, that is a big stadium they've got there and... Everything is there for, for Leeds to acclimatise quite well to the Premier League, I think. So that would be my top pick. And my second one would be West Brom, in light of the job that Slaven has done since he's he's gone in there. And the football that they've played and the fact that they've been on top you know, for large periods of the season as well. And um, I'd be quite interested to see if they can stick around as opposed to being that yo-yo club that... You know, we, we know them as really. Um, you know, where they'll do a season or two in the Premier League and then they'll go back down and they'll bounce back up and... And um, it'd be interesting to see how Slaven handles that challenge. And for me, um, I thought you know Nottingham Forest was a good shout, Jim, because again they were founder members of the Premier League. They played in the first televised game, uh, you know, on Sky. And I think that you know they've got a lot of history with the Premier League and they've been out of it for quite a while. But I'm gonna um, I'm gonna pick Brentford uh, as my third choice because um, I think they've got quite close in the playoffs in recent times. Uh, they're moving into a new stadium um, in in seventeen years, and um, <laughs> and I just think that it you know it'd be nice for them to have a little crack at it and and get used to um, you know playing the level of competition that they play a couple of times a week in the Premier League and to see how they'd handle themselves. So that that'd be my top three. We are of course assuming that any teams will be promoted from the championship this season it remains to be seen we're going to wrap up with one final question this one's come in on instagram as well from west hamburg who says who is the best swedish player to ever play in the premier league marley you can go on this one uh i had a little thought about this before um and i was looking at the the first name that popped into my head was was freddie lungberg um however i think if Mm. He's 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 probably the best choice. Let's be honest. Um, but there's a couple of lads who played in a shorter period. Obviously, one's Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who's probably the most talented player. But I think um, we're forgetting a little bit about Henrik Klaas. Well, hang on, hang on. We need we need to clarify well, something here. Are we talking about best Swedish player in the Premier League? Because if that's the case, undoubtedly it is Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But are we just judging them on their Premier League? Era. I think I think it's so Ibrahimovic is yeah. the best player, but he probably wasn't the best player when he was at Manchester it's United. It's probably fair to judge them on when they were in the Premier League. For example, their spell. So, for example, like Freddie Lundberg okay. was at Arsenal for like ten years or whatever. So you're probably gonna say on the on level balance, like it's probably gonna be him. But Henrik Larsson's um, spell at Man United was fantastic. We we really seen what a what a top quality player he uh, he was. Um, when he came on loan from, I think it was Helsingborg or someone, uh, where he went sort of around the houses. He'd been at been at Celtic for most of his career, obviously, and then moved to Barcelona, then Helsingborg, and then came to Man United for six months. And he just he just fit that way of way of playing, even though he'd had um, a, a, a full Swedish season under his belt. He came for the off season when they were when they were on a break in Sweden and came to came to England to play for Man United. I just think he was, he was excellent. He was so clever. He, he just understood how how uh, things worked and how it was to play in a top top side. Um, and the fact that he went as well from Celtic to Barcelona was a hell of a step up. And he he didn't look out of place at Barcelona. And then mm. obviously transferred those uh, those skills and those um, skill set that he had to to Man United when he came, so I don't think he should go without a without a mention. You know, Henry Larson was outstanding, as Marley's just talked about quite rightly. I think Ibrahimovic has the personality, doesn't he, and brings the the, the kind of uh, showbiz side of it. I think, um, but I, I, you know, Freddie Youngberg was massively successful at Arsenal for me. Um, he won a boatload of honours while he was there, and he was integral to that team. And obviously, he's still at the club, isn't he? You know, doing the uh, doing some coaching there. And um, I think it's quite difficult to look past him. But um, I was struggling to think of any more Swedes in the league, really. Um, I thought Martin Darlene, who was at uh, Blackburn Rovers for a bit. Oh, yeah, I think Youngberg will get my, my vote for his longevity, the honours he won and the impact he had on that Arsenal midfield. 
Okay, I'm going to go for a slightly unusual choice. I'm going to go for Kim Kallstrom, who maybe in real life didn't have a massive impact on the Premier League, but in Football Manager, he had a huge impact on the Premier League. He was one of the great wonder kids to ever come out of Football Manager. The 03 season, you could pick him up for less than a million quid and he'd just run your midfield and increase in value season on season on season. He did play in the Premier League in real life, of course, as well. He joined Arsenal in 2004 season, got injured, played three games and then went back to Spartak Moscow. So in real life, he wasn't amazing. But in terms of my football manager career, he was definitely the greatest Swede to play in the Premier League. From Premier League greats, we're going to move on to the other side of the sliding scale because we are currently undertaking the Premier League world crap via our social media accounts. It's our attempt to find the worst player ever to play in the Premier League. Currently, we're getting your nominations in. You can do that via Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. You can find us on them. The Sports Social is what you need to search to find our accounts there. You can make your case. You can put your nominations in right now. Voting starts. The knockout stages start on Monday. So I thought I'd get some nominations from Stephen Marley before before we close off today's podcast. So there's been some quality nominations so far. Bebe, Marco Bugas. Ali Dyer already have gone into the mix. So, Marley, who do you want to add in as the worst player in the Premier League ever? Um, well, it's a name I've not um, that hasn't been mentioned so far, but it's the first one. I was actually the second one you know, that popped into my head, but the first one was Ali Dyer, and he's already been taken um, for understandable reasons. But my pick yeah. is uh, an American striker called Josie. The eventual Alt- winner of this competition, no doubt. Oh yeah, Josie Altidore's the one for me. Um, just because he's completely useless. Obviously, he played for he played for. He, well, he first came to the Premier League with Hull in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. He came, uh, scored one goal in twenty eight games for Hull, and then he came back to the Premier League in twenty thirteen with uh, the joke of a club that is Sunderland, and then managed to get one goal in forty two games. <laughs> um, and he 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 was just awful, like. The fact that there are bad players, for example, Ali Dyer um, was a bad player, fair enough, but he was so bad that he played one game, everyone realised he was bad, and then he was binned off as some sort of fraud, which he, he rightly was. However, with Altidore, he played so many games. He played uh, 70 games in the Premier League, 70 league games in the Premier League, scored two goals. He was up front for all of them. So the fact that there's a difference for me about just being bad and then being... But Joel Linton's <laughs> on his way to that, isn't he? Ah, get out of it. Um, <laughs> but no, Altidore, I mean, he's been given he's been given so many chances, Altidore. That's the thing, like, they, they stuck with him. Two clubs, two different clubs stuck with him, stuck with him, like, he'll come good, he'll come good. And he was just bad. Four out of ten every week, three out of ten. Occasionally, well, I got two goals, two Premier League goals in 70 games. That's two goals in two seasons. I think there's probably goalkeepers out there with better records than that. That's a good pick, actually. And I've just started watching the Sunderland Till I Die documentary on Amazon as well. So a timely pick also. Steve, who are you going to put into our mix for the world, the Premier League world crap? Uh, I'm going to put the, the lad who was at West Ham uh, this season in goal, oh, uh, Roberto. Um, uh, I, I think I don't think I've ever seen. Well, apart from Massimo Taibi, uh, Man United back in the day, I don't think I've seen a goalkeeper as as inept in the Premier League, and a goalkeeper that costs his team so dearly and uh, has the lack of fundamentals to be a <laughs> successful goalkeeper uh, in the most competitive league in the world. And um, so he he's one that comes into my head more recently. But, you know, in terms of my own club, I think we've had some shockers like a centre-half called Torben Picnic uh, at Liverpool. <laughs> um, you know, we've had uh, Beyond Talk of Army uh, right back as well. Uh, so we've had some shockers along the way. But it's uh, it's quite a difficult thing to think of that. As far as Roberto concerns, I mean, I'm Jim Salverson and I endorse this message 100%. Definitely should be in the mix for the Premier League. <laughs> world <laughs> crap right there's some great nominations get yours in via our twitter account at the sports social you can search the sports social on facebook and same on instagram as well get your nominations in voting starts and you can get involved to pick your favorite or least favorite players from monday right that is it for today's 
Football Social Daily. Steve Marley, thank you very much. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. All the news from today's Premier League meeting and other stuff as well will be featured on Monday's podcast. So click subscribe and you'll get that as soon as it's ready. And we'll see you next time. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Fancy something different for tea? Get takeaway delivery now via Deliveroo and Uber Eats. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.